Hello, I'm Ray Reich, CEO of RevOps Squared and the host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS industry thought leaders, executives, and people just like you to discuss how they use metrics, key performance indicators, and benchmarks to enable better data-driven metrics-informed decisions that accelerate revenue performance and increase enterprise value. If you'd like to gain insights into how your metrics measure up to industry benchmarks, you can learn more at RevOpsquared.com. Now, on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Chris Beeble, Vice President at Software Equity Group. I've been following Chris and his colleagues at the Software Equity Group for several years as they publish very insightful SaaS industry metrics, enterprise valuation, and reports, both inside of their monthly SaaS index updates and their annual software industry report. In today's episode, we will be covering three main topics. One, SaaS KPIs that are most critical in a SaaS company from both a M&A perspective and a public market perspective the net dollar retention KPI and why it's so important to B2B SaaS companies? And when do KPIs become an imperative in a SaaS company's evolution? Chris, welcome to the show and please take a moment to introduce yourself and what led you to being a guest on the Metrics That Major Up podcast. Well, thank you, Ray. I appreciate the introduction and happy to be here and looking forward to a good conversation, dialogue, and digging into some of these sort of key metrics today and how they impact uh, value and valuation for software and SaaS businesses. I've been with SCG for a little over 15 years, have played a lot of different roles here at Software Equity Group, both on the deal and execution side and also on the business development side and overseeing a lot of the research, which I know you followed for some time. But really since inception have been solely focused on providing information and guidance to software and SaaS management teams and entrepreneurs, not only information that can help you know them you know, think through timing for an exit, either in the near term or long term, but also obviously when the time does come, you know, our core businesses advising software and SaaS companies, typically on the smaller end of the spectrum, 5, 10, 15, 25 million ARR businesses through a control transaction, which used to be just strategic buyers. But in today's market, there's a lot of private equity investors out there. And I know the topic of our conversation today is a lot around metrics. And certainly the financial folks are really laser focused on how businesses are performing from a financial standpoint. So excited to participate and provide any insights that you think would be helpful to your audience. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. And you know, one of the things we'll talk about later on, I think, is how a $5 million AR company is the new $20 million AR company based upon private equity and how they've impacted the entire mergers and acquisitions landscape. But let's first talk about the high priority KPIs that you see over your hundreds of transactions. At RevOps Squared, we had to create the first five, it's a KPI framework because so many organizations and entrepreneurs and founders really want to know what are the most important KPIs that I need to capture, calculate, and use to make better data decision, metrics-informed decisions, kind of data-driven decisions. We look at these five. So I'd love to get your perspective on the five that you kind of see as the most important when you're doing your M&A advisory work. We look at number one, the rule of 40, which really measures growth and free cash flow. 
We look at gross dollar and net dollar retention as critical enterprise value driving metrics, customer lifetime value to CAC, the ratio. We also, from an operating perspective, really like our customers to look at CAC ratio and then that amazing cash flow generator gross margin. So those are the five that we call our first five. Let me ask you, what are some of the top KPIs you recommend yep. to your portfolio companies? Yeah, so I think generally speaking, I think our sort of some of the top metrics or KPIs that we track generally overlap with, I think, some of your focuses. So I would sort of answer it this way. It's changed a little bit over the past couple of years. So, you know, growth sort of trumped a lot of other metrics in prior years. So two, three years ago, we would say growth, you know, revenue growth is the highest corollary to EV to revenue or EV to ARR type multiples. Over the past two years, maybe folks have started to maybe see, not that anyone was forecasting what occurred in 2020, but that maybe a recession was around the bend. We're in the seventh inning or something like that of expansionary period, and people have gotten a little bit more risk averse. Retention has really come into the forefront. And so I think today, retention, both from a gross and from a net dollar standpoint, is probably the number one metric that investors and buyers are honing in on today. Growth is still certainly important, and I'd probably rank it as maybe number two in terms of what are the first couple questions that we would typically get from buyers and investors when we're getting on the phone with them to talk through an SCG client. And then some of the other ones like LTV to CAC ratio are certainly important. And I would say gross margin, clearly. Gross margin certainly can be a very key determinant of the future scalability of the business and whether you're truly viewed as a SaaS business or maybe more of a services type of organization. Interesting. In the first half of 2020, our most recent research has shown that new name customer ARR acquisition is much less efficient and at a much reduced mm -hmm. scale to FY19. In fact, we're seeing yeah. new ARR acquisition down about 50% year over year. And it's about on a dollar of ARR basis, about 20 cents more expensive to get each dollar of ARR, kind of the CAC ratio. What do you yeah. see as some of the trade-offs that SaaS companies need to make between net dollar retention versus rule of 40? And specifically, one of yeah. the areas I'd love to drill down in with you is, is not all growth is as valuable from an enterprise value to revenue model, that of new name customer growth versus existing customer expansion. What do you think? What's your research yeah. experience say about that? Yeah. So number one, this is obviously a, an interesting year. And I would sort of what you described there in terms of slowdown in new customer acquisition, we've certainly seen that with the companies that we're formally working with. And then obviously a lot of companies that we're kind of mentoring and guiding and staying in touch with. I think just to comment on that, I think a lot of folks across most industries, there's a few where maybe you've got COVID that is driving an acceleration and adoption for your product. But by and large, there was an understanding that sales cycles were going to lengthen and momentum was going to slow a bit in terms of new closed deals. And so folks really focused on marketing, staying in front of customers, being there for customers, right? And then from an investor standpoint, from a buyer standpoint, there's been a real laser acceptance of that. And then a lot of focus around how are you maintaining your relationships with your existing customers? How are your retention rates holding up through this first sort of pressure test, if you will, for SaaS companies since we saw the shift 10 years ago over this model? And then from there, it's, okay, how are things starting to rebound in the second half of the year? Are you starting to see some sales momentum coming back? But generally speaking, 
we're working with a lot of businesses that are on the smaller end of the spectrum. You know, they may be five, 10, 20 million plus in ARR. They're not a billion dollar businesses and they have great product offerings. And when a buyer or an investor is looking at these businesses, in many cases, they're saying, hey, I really like this product offering and I need to vet out how differentiate defensible this is. And I'm going to do that by really measuring things like what is your gross retention? How are you holding on to your existing customers? Hopefully you're not churning a lot of customers. And then from there, can you demonstrate an ability to sell other solutions uh, or increase wallet share within your existing customers? And hey, we as a buyer group or an investment group think that we're really good at scaling businesses and improving sales and marketing operations. And so I think as it relates to how you prioritize new customer acquisition versus sort of expanding wallet share within existing customers, we always say make sure that you don't have a leaky boat first, that you've got strong retention, and that maybe you can demonstrate an ability to expand and exhibit the compounded interest rate, if you will, of the SaaS model to the buyer community or investment community. And then from there, you should be showing some healthy amount of new customer acquisition occurring. Can't just be, you know, obviously milking your existing base. You've got to show some certainly good amount of new logos coming in, but you wouldn't want to do that at the expense of customers walking out the back door. So I think we prioritize the core kind of existing customer base in the stability of that. And then from there, you're building out to sort of new customer acquisition. Chris, let's dig a little bit deeper into net dollar retention. And the reason I ask, in our latest research, we found for private SaaS companies, the average net dollar retention is about 102%. Now, this is far from some of the public companies that we're seeing 140, 150% net dollar retention, but there's some selection Mm -hmm. bias there because those companies on the stock market are the best of the best, right? But net dollar retention at 100 to 102%. Now, what's interesting is since new customer acquisition is two to two and a half times more costly than expanding existing revenue. Do you have any unique insights or maybe even examples of where companies who had better growth rates as a percentage of total growth from existing customers even had better enterprise to revenue valuation multiples, or is that not the case? Yeah, that's a really good question. So there were a couple of deals that we recently did within the education space where our clients had really nice product offerings, a ton of depth and breadth, you know, they were really loved by their customers, and they were exhibiting really strong retention, well north of 110%. They weren't the highest growth businesses. You know, they were in a segment that is somewhat relatively slow to adopt, but the customers were really sticky once you got them. And so, you know, I think if you looked at like holistically all of the metrics in those businesses, you would say that clearly they were an outperformer from a retention standpoint, both on a growth and a net basis. But the other metrics were more in the kind of middle of the bell curve, if you will. But because the attractive vertical that they were in, the depth and breadth of the platform and the differentiation, and then the associated strong, really outlier type retention metrics, we were able to drive a really nice outcomes there from a multiple standpoint above and beyond what you would see sort of for businesses typically of that size. And then I would just say conversely, like we've had the opposite occur where we were working with a company a couple of years ago that was probably 20 million or so in ARR with a wonderful product offering. It's a great product. They were focused a little bit more down market on the SMB segment. And I think that in the business is growing well and it checked a lot of boxes off 
but the retention was poor. They were nowhere near 100% net retention. I don't even think they were near 90% or they may have been in the 90% range. But we struggled to, number one, attract the number of parties we would have hoped for an asset of that size. And then we weren't able to get up to some of the other sort of outperformance that we've seen with other clients that frankly may have not been as strong on on other metrics, but the retention just wasn't there for that particular client. So we certainly do see retention as having a really strong impact on your ability to drive a strong outcome, especially when you isolate for that versus some of the other metrics in the business. Chris, let's dive even deeper into that because I was reading some of your research and I really love this net retention wave research that I found. And I think at a high level, what it said was if you take two companies with equal growth rates, and I think you normalize that 40% growth rate, but one company was at 110% net dollar retention, and the other company was only at 100% net dollar retention, that the enterprise value to revenue models were materially different, kind of from a 6x up to 9x or greater. Is that fairly accurate with a lot of the private transactions you're seeing in the M&A market? Yeah, that's right. I mean, the net retention wave, if you will, I think graph that you're alluding to, I think we may have that on our website. I actually don't have it up in front of me right now, but that's data based on our outcomes. And there's, I think, 30 or 40 data points that are driving that particular graphic. And you can clearly see when you visit that sort of graphic, and we're kind of plotting there just to kind of give a visual for any of the listeners. On the x-axis, we've got net retention and on the y-axis, we've got the growth rate. And then we're plotting the M&A multiples that occurred based on where you fall on those two metrics on the graph. And you can clearly see that companies that are, as you mentioned, 40, 50% growth and north of 110% as an example, are going to fall within the 6X plus ARR bucket. The same level of growth but with retention at 80, 90% on a net retention basis, they may be in the two to four X bucket. And so again, it's just kind of some more data points to look at. We certainly see some businesses outperform on a case by case basis, but generally see a pretty strong trend when you map against those metrics. Yeah, and for our listeners, I think here's a really important takeaway, and it's what we're advising a lot of our clients to do not right now, is for FY21 planning, go ahead and look at your growth rate. Hopefully, if you're in the 5 million to 50 million, you're in that at least 30 to 50% growth rate, but take a really deep look and do it on a cohort by cohort basis of what your net dollar retention is, and consider really strongly if you're at 100, 102% net dollar retention, what would it take to get that to 110 plus net retention? And you might over index your FY21 investments into existing customer growth, whether that's through upsells or cross sales, versus over indexing on just new name customer growth. Because number one, it is about two to two and a half times cheaper to grow existing customer revenue. And as Chris just shared, it can increase your revenue to enterprise valuation multiples three, four, five X. So Chris, let's dig into one other area here. And that is around your public SaaS index. It's something that I love your monthly updates. Is that a good place to kind of look at how net retention drives enterprise value to revenue multiples? Or are there other things I should be looking at in those public SaaS company index reports? Yeah, I think it's a good, obviously, it's a good proxy for sort of valuations in the market. So I think we've got maybe a little over 100 publicly traded SaaS companies that make up the 
SEG public SaaS index. And frankly, on a monthly, but on a quarterly basis, we're publishing EV to revenue multiples, operational metric for those companies, both from an index level, as well as from a product category standpoint and specific company standpoint to see how some of those metrics are driving valuation multiples. And it's obviously one of the data sources that's public, right? A lot of the private data is just really hard to come by, or you would have to be working with just someone like us that has access to information from all the companies that we're working with and see these deals occurring in the private markets. But most of that information is not publicly disclosed. But we see a lot of parallels, right, as it relates to, generally speaking, the public gas companies that are demonstrating a higher rule of 40 or growth rates are being valued at a much higher multiples than those that are growing at less of a growth rate. Those companies that are exhibiting net dollar retention rates well north of the 100% type of metric that you alluded to earlier there are being rewarded with higher multiples, generally speaking. You can look at a few examples of that. I mean, we're all aware of Zoom and there's other reasons other than net retention that a company like Zoom is trading at the ridiculous valuation multiples that they are today. But, you know, there's others like Alteric, Twilio, Fastly. These are all companies that are trading at well north of the 11x ARR multiple that's a median multiple right now, in some cases, 20, 30, 40 times revenue. And they've all got net dollar retention above 130%. And you compare that to a few others like Proofpoint or Brightcove that you know, maybe at 80 to 90% on a net dollar retention basis, and they're trading at you know, something well south of the median multiple, as low as you know, 2 to 4x revenue in the public market. So there's obviously a whole host of other metrics that would impact how each of these individual companies are being valued in the market. But generally speaking, you, you certainly do see some correlation there between net retention and, uh, and EV to revenue multiples. And, and we see of, that in the private markets as well. And one of the things we would recommend all the founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and CFOs listening to us today is look at some of these public SaaS companies and look at the Supper Equity Group SaaS Index. And you'll be able to look at cohorts and say, wow, as you said, the enterprise value to revenue multiple is about 11x right now. And by the way, that's up 62% since May, pretty phenomenally. But look at yep. how net dollar retention in that rule of 40 growth rates impacts that, whether it's a trailing 12 months or forward-looking 12 months of revenue, impacts the multiple. And in fact, on my recommendation was maybe do some correlation analysis using uh, R-squared model. And I think you'll find that there's some direct correlation between those two things that Chris just shared, growth rate and net dollar retention and the EV to revenue multiple. Yeah, and I would say just quickly, to just touch on that, I mean, one of the fundamental reasons why everyone focuses so closely on it is if your net dollar retention is north of 100%, it effectively means your business is growing without you adding any new customers each year. So if your net dollar retention is 110% each year, you can continue to grow 10% per year without adding any new customers because you're continuing to expand wallet share. And so it's compounded interest, right, <laughs> on your revenue base. And it's a great stable base from which to then acquire new customers and further accelerate growth. Yeah. And I'd ask people to think about that on another plane. And that is if you're at 100 to 110% net dollar retention, if you pulled away the majority of your sales and marketing cost, and you've got a gross margin of 75%, 
that basically saying is for every dollar of ARR you have on an annualized basis, you're throwing 70 to 75 cents of free cash flow. Now, you're not going to do that because you're going to continue to invest for growth, but it's a pretty incredible valuation model for private equity investors, even strategic investors. Now, Chris, the KPI maturity is something we run into all the time. And you mentioned a lot of your clients are in that sub $25 million ARR range. So what do you say to those founders and entrepreneurs to say, I'm only 5 million. I'm not sure how important all these key performance indicators and benchmarking myself against industry standards is at five. I'll worry more about that when I'm at 15, 20, 25. What's your insights on that? Yeah. So I think number one, I would just say from a high level, the industry has really professionalized over the last five to 10 years. There's been a lot more sort of focus on the SaaS model and the attractiveness of the SaaS model. And in particular, you've started to see a lot of these traditionally private equity, growth equity firms start to move down market in their focus. So they used to, I think we've talked in the past and they kind of mentioned like five to 7 million in ARR is the new $20 million in ARR for a lot of these investors. And so in our view, that type of ARR number is right around the corner for a lot of businesses that are two, $3 million in ARR. And so it's never too early to start understanding a lot of the metrics that are going to be really important when you go to raise capital or exit the business. And they can also be extremely informative as it relates to how you operate your business. And to kind of give an example of that is a lot of times when we dig in and start working with businesses, we're doing a whole bunch of analysis. We're segmenting customer cohorts, et cetera, measuring unit economics based on customer cohort one versus two versus three. Maybe they're different vertical markets that our client is serving. And we'll see that it's much more profitable or the unit economics are much better within this vertical one versus verticals three and four. And they have a ton of runway or greenfield to grow in within vertical one. And yet they're a sales and marketing standpoint equally across all of these different verticals. And so we would look at that and we'd say, you know, your return is going to be so much higher if you focus on vertical one for the time being and given the runway before you move to verticals two and three and four. And there's going to be very significant impact from a multiple or from a valuation standpoint based on your unit economics and your growth, et cetera. And so many times we're finding that out for the first time. We're uncovering that as part of an exercise that we're going through to get a company ready to go to market. And it would have been so much more favorable for the business to have had that information 24 or 36 months prior to this event so that they could incorporate some of that into how they're going to market and growing their business to just strengthen the overall company and obviously set themselves up for a much more positive outcome down the road. I think that's really important insight because we've seen far too many companies that are growing 30, 40% in a couple primary ICPs, you know, that ideal customer profile, maybe it's a couple vertical industries. But they're like, well, our target account base just isn't big enough. So we're going to move over to industry vertical number three and four. And they find out that that diffuses their investment in sales and marketing. And their growth rate actually decreases. And their CAC ratio, the cost of each dollar increases. And they would have been better served to basically double down in those industries that they had been serving. But you know what? 
they didn't do a cohort analysis after three, six, nine months after they moved to that new one tangential vertical industry. Very important insights. Yep, yep, for sure. Chris, one of the things I guess I would like to wrap up here with the Metrics of Major Up podcast is, is there any other insights from all your experience and all these private transactions that you'd like to share with our audience? I think that the service that, I mean, you're providing is crucial. I think that the industry is professionalized around a lot of these metrics in a relatively short time period. And it's a common set of metrics that are relatively easy to understand. You just have to, I think, take the time to do so and the discipline, obviously, to continue to track them on an ongoing basis. And the earlier that you can do it, the better. And I think the more favorable position that you'll be in when the time is right to be having these conversations or frankly, just being ready for inbounds that are coming in from investors and buyers on a weekly or monthly basis, you got a better basis for having these conversations with the market. So I think that's kind of what I would leave it with is take the time to, to properly understand sort of where you sit in the spectrum and how that aligns with what your goals are for strategic or liquidity means. Well, let me summarize here. So one of the things we learned today was how important net dollar retention is to that revenue to enterprise valuation multiple. Number two, it's never too early to really understand your KPIs and metrics and be able to benchmark those against the industry because you never know when that inbound call is going to come from someone who wants to pay you 8, 10x your company's revenue. And number three is make sure that when you're looking at the data and metrics that you're capturing, Look at it on a cohort by cohort basis so you can make more educated trade-off investment decisions on those cohorts that are driving the most growth and maximizing your revenue to enterprise valuation. Chris, thank you for joining this episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Thanks, Ray. It was a pleasure and look forward to maybe doing this again sometime. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics That Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.